You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. on today's episode we are joined by dr john demarco of get better basketball and formerly the boston globe coach of the year in the boston area coach how are you doing thanks for joining us i'm doing awesome guys i really appreciate the opportunity to talk to other coaches and uh, continue to help share and grow the game so we like to start uh all of our pods here in the second season with what we call the opening tip just kind of getting to know our coaches and, and kind of asking some questions about them. So, uh, you know, obviously you are well known on Twitter for your get better basketball chats and your content, um, you know, on basketball, you have a lot of awesome stuff out there. We were just kind of wondering, you know, how did it start and then kind of what helped you gain that following along the way? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I've, I've had that from a couple of different coaches. How did you get this started? So, I uh, coached basketball right, right out of college, uh, going back to 2005. I was a junior varsity coach my first year out of college, and I coached football as well and, and, and played football in college. <clears throat> and uh, I had coached for basketball for about 12, 13 years and um, stopped coaching football a couple years earlier than that because I was getting my doctorate at the time and something had to give, and I was a head football coach and just an offensive coordinator in football. So I decided to stick with basketball. That was my love. And um, in 2017, my, my son was born, who's now four and a half. And I was also a school administrator. I'd gone back and got my doctorate, as I mentioned, at uh, Northeastern University and um, decided I wanted to go that route. And I was driving at the time from the south, uh, North Shore to the South Shore, uh, to work and then back to the North Shore to coach. So there was about uh, three and a half to four hours worth of driving my last couple of years there. It was, it was insane, but I loved it. And I knew um, I was getting near the end of the road there with the coaching. So we had a great run. Uh, my last year we made it to the state semifinals and had a good group coming back and obviously didn't want to leave the cupboard bare. So uh, I, I made a really tough decision um, to kind of step away from it. And 
at that time, I, 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 I thought about the social media aspect. I saw some coaches out there who uh, were involved with Twitter. I did a little bit with my team, um, but I saw this thing called the hog football chat for football coaches. And it was an offensive line coach, still very successful chat, tons of coaches chime into it. And I said, you know, there's nothing out there for basketball. So I started that back in about 2018 now um, and did my first uh, chat. I had some coaches that I started connecting with on Twitter, put it out there. I did the first chat, I think was on uh, shooting uh, and shot selection at the time. And I had some great coaches, John Carrier, who I I highly respect on Twitter, Uh, Michael Lynch, uh, uh, he was Coach Lynch on Twitter now, uh, who's from Massachusetts like me, I, I have a lot of respect for. They were chiming in the first couple of chats and kind of took off from there. But, I, you know, I think there was, um, you know, there was a need for an opportunity to kind of share the game among coaches. And, you know, since then, I think a couple of the coaches have jumped in and started some Twitter chats, which I always appreciate because it's an opportunity for coaches to share, but there really wasn't anything out there before the Get Better Basketball chat. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud, you know, a couple of years now, I think we're on episode 133 or chat 133, I should say, uh, now, uh, which is uh, a couple of years worth, which is pretty cool. Well, I know I've, I've participated and, and they are good chats and, and you do learn a lot. So, you know, you had mentioned something interesting and, and both Todd and I, you know, we like to do our homework on our guests and, you know, we saw that you had, had coached football and, you know, we both played football in our day and, and coached a little bit of, but, you know, I, we were curious, you know, as an offensive coordinator, take us through the mindset of an offensive coordinator in football and then kind of how you connect it to basketball. I think so many coaches now are kind of with their assistants a little bit. Some coaches we talk to kind of divvying it up into that offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator role. But for you personally, how did you take that, that coordinator mindset into basketball season? You know, it was such a huge benefit for me to coach football because football coaches, I feel like, and maybe I'm biased here, but they delegate better than any other coaches. Um, You know, you have your line coach and they really take ownership of the line and their individual time. And you have your receivers coach and your running back coach and you're just on the offensive side. And then obviously cornerbacks and D line, et cetera, on the defensive side of the ball. So when I coach football, I think that really helped open my mindset to delegating a little bit more in basketball and, that was something I always took a lot of pride in as a basketball coach. I mean, as someone who was a head coach, I had my assistants very heavily involved. I was so fortunate. My brother, Rich coached with me and he coached me as a kid growing up and he had coached high school and youth basketball for years and years. And to have him as an assistant coach with me and he took ownership of certain aspects of, of, of the game, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the floor and then working with the post players. And I took ownership of aspects of it. And then I had other assistant coaches, you know, for example, I had a, a good friend of mine, I grew up playing basketball with that his primary focus was on our rebounding. I put such a huge emphasis. We were a little bit undersized at times and, um, to have him just hone in and focus on rebounding and all practice, he was looking at it, missed box outs, opportunities for offensive rebounds. Um, 
you know, that's a little bit unique. I, I know some coaches do it. I know Doc Rivers had Tom Thibodeau as his kind of defensive specialist with the Celtics, and I'm a, obviously a Celtics fan. So, um, you know, some coaches do it, but some coaches are, are really kind of one-person show. And for me, if I could get more out of my assistant coaches, it meant uh, the level of focus and attention to detail could be significantly better. So, you know, ultimately in the games, you know, I was calling the defenses and I was calling the plays on offense and I was honed in on that. But in practice, I had coaches that would lead a defensive drill, or lead an offensive drill. And I felt like, you know, it helped them um, uh, a little bit more credibility with players and talking to them. And then the players knew, you know, Coach Dan is going to hone in on the rebounding. And I know that in the games, he's going to pull me, you know, when I get pulled out, he's going to be talking to me about that. And Coach Rich is going to be looking at our defense and our deflections and looking at our post players and what they're doing within our offense. So I think that was a really cool parallel that I was able to draw, you know, something I was able to take from football and bring into basketball that, you know, really helped me. And as an offensive coordinator in football, you have to delegate and you have to have your running back coach and your line coach and really have trust in them and what they can do. And, you know, I did that as a basketball coach and, uh, we had a lot of fun in the process. So I, I think an interesting thing, Coach, is, you know, and, and my first year I tried to do everything because I think, you know, your first year as a head coach, you you really want to, to take that role. And, you know, as I've gone, I've started to delegate more things like rebounding and, and out-of-bounds plays and such. But why do you think, if you really look at baseball and football, they, they delegate everything. There's pitching coaches, like you said, a line coach in football. Why has basketball been a little bit behind some other sports in that delegation, do you think? Well, I, I mean, I think a couple, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think with baseball, you have nine players on the field and you have a pitcher that's very specialized, a catcher, very specialized. I feel like with football, obviously, your line, your running backs, your tight ends, a little bit more specialized. So I feel like basketball coaches are a little bit, hesitant sometimes to give up the control it's you know their tight-knit group of their five players and the numbers are a little bit smaller you can do it on your own um, although I don't recommend that I was definitely someone who liked to delegate so you know I think for a lot of years basketball coaches were able to do that and I think the other part to this and it is a really good question is the games-based approach I feel like is a little bit I think coaches were doing it. I was doing it. I didn't call it small-sided games. But I think there was a lot of coaches for years that maybe didn't use that approach as much. So I think when you're an SSG or in a games-based approach, I do think you have to delegate a little bit more because you can't see everything. And if you're just doing a layup drill, it's layups. If you're just doing a shooting drill, it's shooting. When you get into SSGs, there's a lot more to focus on. So for me doing SSGs in practice, I needed a coach to look at that rebounding because, you know, I tended to be more defensive minded and, you know, he's looking at offensive and defensive rebounding and I could focus in on our defense. And then, uh, you know, other coaches that I had, um, I was fortunate to have a few coaches. Uh, I think there was four of us total. Uh, one was looking at guard play on the offensive end. And my brother was really specialized in the dribble drive, but also helped me with the defensive end of it as well as I mentioned earlier so it's nice in SSGs that you can look at all aspects of the game so I think as the game continues to grow you're probably going to see more coaches willing to give up some of that control and I encourage them to do it but 
you have to have a lot of confidence in, in your ability as a coach and, um, you know, just a willingness to let other coaches voice their opinion and speak out. Oh, I, we also found it interesting that you did, you coach both boys and girls and they're very different games, but I think being on both sides has a huge benefit for a coach. Um, you can, you can learn a lot both ways. Um, take us through some of like the similarities and differences you found and, and kind of what you enjoyed most about each one. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot more similarities. I mean, I coach the girls, you know, there's definitely some differences that you could highlight, but I coach the girls a lot like I did the boys. I mean, my system, the dribble drive and full court pressure defense was really lends itself to the guys game. And I think really to the, to the women's game as well. And that was something I always took pride in. I mean, I, I have a daughter now myself and I would want her to be coached in that same way. Um, that the boys are going to be coached There's obviously differences in terms of the size of the basketball and um, you know, things like that in the game. But, you know, for me, I, I think I had success in the girls game. I started with the boys and transitioned to the girls. And I think I had success in the girls game because I, I did coach it very similar to the way that I coached the boys basketball teams that I had in the past. And um, you know, Right, right around everything from the offensive aspects and shooting. We sh it was a three or key mindset for the girls. I did that with the boys. And like I said, that pressure defense I did with the girls teams I coach, I did that with the boys teams I coach. So, um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of similarities. You know, I, I think um, understanding what players need, and this isn't necessarily girls to boys, but it could be. I think, you know, individualizing for players and what girls players might need might be a little different than what boys players might need. But just on a girls team, there's, there's differences. And on a boys team, uh, you know, we all know that there's differences, what one player needs to the next. So, you know, I had to individualize, um, you know, how I, I addressed players and what I was uh, talking to them about and how I was describing it. And but I, I really think that's a basketball thing and not so much a men's and women's thing. And um, as someone who coached both sides of it and had an opportunity to, um, you know, for me, I, I, I really tried to treat them um, the same as, as much as possible. And I, I know that's not always the answer, you know, coaches are looking for, they might want to hear, you know, there's this difference or that difference. But for me, I, I, I think I really tried to coach them the same as much as possible, but I understood personalities were different and the needs might be a little bit different. And that's a, a coaching thing in any sport. Um, but I, I had a lot of fun coaching both. And um, it, it's funny because even the sets and things I did in the girls game versus the boys game were, were really the same and the presses I ran and um, and we had success on both ends of it. So a um, lot of similarities, I, you know, in terms of differences, um, you know, those personality differences. But I think you see that in the game of basketball in general or coaching in general, um, you know, but, you know, the one thing I would say that hurt us in the girls game was there was no 10 second count and we were full court pressure team. Mm. So we had to we had a shot clock. So we had to take pride in sort of running that shot clock down and wearing teams down and taking teams deep into the shot clock. And then, you know, one shot and getting the rebound in the boys game, we got some 10 second calls. So 
that was a difference in the game. And, and for me, pressing my first year, I was like, oh, there's no, no 10 second call. So teams could be a little bit more patient. But then with the shot clock, they'd get it over half court, but there's only 10 seconds left. And then, of course, at that time, you know, they're rushing shots. So we had to kind of take pride in the opposite end of it, not forcing 10 second calls, but forcing teams to tough shots at the end of the shot clock. Well, you said the magic word for Todd and I were in Illinois. There is no shot clock. So we're working towards that. Um, so we want to, we, we kind of in the beginning asked you about going, taking that offensive coordinator mindset to basketball, but now let's, our, our kind of follow-up to that is, you know, currently you're a school administrator. What are the things that you took from being a head coach, uh, that you've transitioned now to being a school administrator? Because I'm sure there is some things that going from being a head coach to a school administrator did kind of mesh. Well, I can tell you guys, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation so far because it's got me really thinking and I feel like, you know, X's and O's are a big part of it, but the things you're asking are really important part of coaching. And, you know, I think what transfers, not just as an administrator, but as a teacher is that relationship piece. And, you know, as an administrator, especially where there's a discipline component and there's obviously the relationship aspect and you know, much more to the, the role, you know, I, I feel like you really have to hone in on relationships with your students because, you know, you're, you're got, you have to be the one that they see when things don't go well, but you also want to highlight the positives and, and find ways to um, see those positive things. So we do positive referrals in my school, and that's something I brought in as an administrator. Like, let's call families, let's call parents when, hey, so-and-so did a great job and let's highlight that. And I feel like um, to kind of bring that to the basketball side of things, we did a hustle ball. And, you know, it's, it was highlighting for players the effort that they put in on a daily basis and the effort they put in in games. It wasn't always about wins and losses, though we wanted to win and we were fortunate to win more than we lost. Um, you know, that hustle ball for us was a symbol to players and parents and the school and they got it, they signed it, they walked around with it, that we were, we really valued their effort. And I think, you know, there's similarities to highlighting the positive referral to highlighting their hustle in their effort. So, you know, I, I think that's one thing that stands out to me. And the other thing that comes to mind is really thinking on your feet as an administrator you get like seven different things brought to you and you have to like quickly filter out, you know, what's the most important thing? Who can I pull in to help with this? Who can I pull in to help with that? And in a game, I mean, you guys know as coaches, there's times where a lot of things are happening at once. Your assistant coaches are talking to one player, something's going on on the floor. Another player needs something from you. So uh, you know, and practices like that too, obviously. So I feel like being able to think on my feet and, you know, um, there was, as I got, my coaching career went on, I got better and better at that. And even making adjustments, you know, I think back to my last season, we played probably one of the better teams in the league at that time. I think they were in first place. We beat them in a really two or three point game. And um, we just, we needed a turnover and we had never used our three quarter court diamond press. We had practiced it. We'd never done it, never shown it in my five years of this program. And in that moment, I just, we need to do something different. 
We did it. Turnover layup. Turnover layup. Other coaches calling timeout. We took a two-point lead, and we end up winning that game. And I think being an administrator, um, you know, it's not turnover layup, but I think there's opportunities to turn negative experiences into a positive for a student when things don't go well and think on your feet, how can I make this a better experience for the student? And I think also, um, you know, that kind of translate in, translates into basketball too. So that's a really great question. And uh, hopefully I answered it uh, pretty well. No, oh, that, that's a tremendous answer. Um, so I, I want to transition here to a little bit um, to with your administration lens and your, your, uh, you know, your Twitter and your brand lens to uh, uh, marketing and branding has become such a big part for coaches these days, coaches and players alike, but specifically coaches, um, you know, and kind of showcasing their talents. Um, so, you know, what advice would you give to young coaches trying to showcase what they do and, and kind of move up the ranks and, and attain coaching jobs? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is really try to be the best version of yourself. I, you know, you take a lot from different coaches out there and there's always something to be learned from those coaches, but um, be you and be the best version of, of you. Uh, you know, I, I've thought that for a long time. I'm going to give Sean Strickland some credit, another Twitter buddy of mine. Uh, he says, be you coach. And he's put a lot of stuff out on that. And that's resonated with me. And that's the way I felt for a long time. I mean, you know, you can, study X's and O's from Vance Wahlberg and John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski and, um, you know, Pat Summit and some of the great women's coaches like Gino Ariama too. But ultimately you have to filter that information and be the best version of yourself. So that's the first thing that comes to mind and, and being yourself. And, you know, I think when you're trying to brand yourself, I think there's two ways to look at it. I mean, what I'm doing on social media is one aspect of it. And I think that's important, you know, as a, you know, a, a young coach, um, a great coach, Mike Procopio, who worked as the director of player development for the Dallas Mavericks years ago. Um, he's hoop consultants on Twitter and he puts a lot of great stuff out there. And he's from my hometown. And I said to Mike, you know, I, I think I want to get into like college coaching or professional coaching or do something more. And, you know, I was at the end of kind of that high school career and I knew with a young family, I'm like, I, I either got to go all in with the coaching or I got to go all in with the education and kind of keep the coaching as part of my life, which I've chosen and has worked out well for me. But I talked to Mike and he's like, you know what? He's like, put stuff out there, you know, go talk to coaches, go talk to college coaches and share with them and, and show them what some of your thoughts are and ask them for feedback and and get information from them and put stuff out there and put videos out there. And so he kind of said that to me and it really resonated with me. And I was, you know, you're a humble coach and who, who am I? I'm coach DeMarco from Massachusetts. And, you know, really, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I'm not anybody compared to the great accomplishments coaches have had out there. But what I quickly realized is that, you know, there's a platform for this and for an opportunity to share the game with other coaches and, I got more knowledge over the years and I took more information and I'm able to share more out with coaches and I'm talking to great coaches. I know you guys participate in the chat, uh, coach Palicki, John, I, I had a chance to talk hoops with you um, on get better basketball live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to talk to coaches like you and other coaches out there, high school, youth, college, um, you know, it, it really helped me to grow. So I think for those younger coaches that want to kind of, 
put themselves out there, I would encourage them to take that same advice I took and, and really, you know, talk to coaches, join the basketball chats, put videos out there, share your plays and things you pick up on. And, you know, not every coach, there's some Twitter heroes out there and some coaches are not going to like your ideas. And that was never me. I, I, I'm always positive and I appreciate what coaches share, but some coaches might be critical of it. And, you know, take that with a grain of salt. At the end of the day, you're trying to help other coaches improve and get better. And that's the way I look at it. So, you know, I think that's marketing yourself as a younger coach and, and, and trying to learn and grow. And, you know, for me on Twitter, it was very similar. I was trying to kind of grow my brand and, and the Get Better Basketball brand. And, I, you know, I, I said yes a lot. And there's coaches that say, hey, can you talk to me about this? And, yep, you know, and I'm not getting paid for a lot of it. There's some sponsorships out there. But you know what? If you truly love what you do and you want to grow it and you want to help people, then you're going to say yes. And you're going to take those opportunities. And a couple opportunities that I've had that have started out as uh, smaller scale, just conversations, have blossomed into some really meaningful relationships and also opportunities for sponsorships and, you know, the financial end of it. So say yes, take, take advantage of those opportunities. Um, you know, don't ever think you're better than, you know, having a conversation. Um, you know, if coaches want to pick your brain or, you know, have you share out in a video cast or a podcast. And I take advantage of every opportunity. I love it. I love sharing the game. You probably can hear my excitement as I'm sharing this, but um, you know, I think marketing yourself is saying yes, it's, it's uh, putting your own stuff out there and not being afraid to do it. You know, coaches that are listening to this that are hesitant because they feel like, you know, who am I? I'm just a small coach in whatever state and um, don't feel that way. There's something you have that other coaches can take and learn from and um, have confidence that, that they can take and learn from that, but also be willing to learn from those coaches and you know, stay humble and, and, and true to yourself. All right. So obviously you just talked about your passion and everybody can, everybody can hear it. So let's talk about now when that, that first day of the season comes around for you, right. And you're, you're, you're not coaching, but you're still in the basketball or you're watching basketball. You know, I'm sure you have connections at your school. Um, what are, what are some of those feelings, you know, when basketball starts up every year and, and are ever those, thoughts creeping in your head like hey yeah you know, I might want to might want to go back the first year was really tough for me I, you know my son was was young he was just um about a year old at that time and um we had I think my wife I think we had number two on the way we they're all very close together so um but you know now we have of course three at four years old and uh, four and a half and under so three children total but you know, the first year was a little bit tough and I went out to games and I watched my former team play and have a lot of success with the new coach and, um, you know, saw the players. I stayed out of it. I, I just watched in the stands and just very much hands off. And, you know, that was tough. But after that and being with my family and training players and mentoring coaches and doing the Twitter chats and looking and breaking down X's and O's on my YouTube channel. And yeah, I, I have a thirst for it. And I, I know that I could do a great job if, if, if I step back into that role. And I've been, had a couple of people that have reached out through the last couple of years. Are you, you thinking about getting back into it, whether as a head coach or 
hey, can you just give us some time? And, you know, as even as an assistant, I'll come in and work with players. And, you know, some things I'll do on the side a little bit. But it is tough that, you know, the first day of the season. But I, I look at, instead of looking at kind of the negative side of it, I look at all the positives. I look at being able to spend time with my kids. You, you, you guys know if you're coaching, it's 24-7. It's coming home from games. It's watching film. It's um, writing a practice plan. It's going to work the next day. It's going to practice. Hit the reset button because you're getting ready and you're doing it over again. And I love that. And I miss that part of it. I love the grind. I was, um, I, I think I said this to you, maybe John at one point, but you know, I was going for my doctorate. And I was coaching football. I was coaching basketball. The seasons overlapped. It was chaos. Didn't have kids at the time. And I, I love it. I eat that stuff up. Um, I, I love the grind, but at the same time, I love my family, my wife, my kids. And I know that I can stay connected to the game of basketball and football train players and and work with coaches and talk to some of my friends that coach and help them as needed and also on the flip side bring my son to a game to watch you know someone play or bring him to a Celtics game or whatever it might be and, and obviously my daughter and my other son is as they get bigger I'll take them too but um, and you know I'm going to coach their teams as they get a little bit older and uh, that's a tough age, the youth basketball. I give youth basketball coaches a lot of credit. My brother was the best. He did it for years and years. And I'm going to have to rope him back in to help coach my kids because he has a lot of patience and I, I know he'll do a great job with it. That is, that is so true, though, coach, about, you know, uh, just you, eventually we, we have to realize that the grind does end at some point. So I, I thought that was very well said for you. Um, you know, an, an interesting topic we wanted to hit with you was on on job searches or searching for a job. So, you know, you're you're a head coach or you're an aspiring head coach, um, you know, and, and obviously in an interview, you're asked a lot of questions by administration. But as a head coach, what questions should you be asking the administration to make sure it's the right fit for you? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll, I'll share out that on CoachTube, I have uh, video that's out there that is on, I don't self-promote too much, but I'm going to hear that's for All aspiring right. head coaches. I did a uh, clinic on coach tube and um, I did the get uh, the, the coaches, the virtual coaches clinic. I did a couple of them, one on the Chicago series and then one on aspiring head coaches. And um, I, I speak to this a little bit, but um, I always tell coaches before I get into the questions, have a portfolio that really helps them, you know, always sit down and this is my portfolio and share it with them. Because when I ended up getting my head coaching job, the guy's name was Don Doucette and he was uh, the athletic director. He had been a division one basketball coach. He coached all the way. Um, he coached uh, UNC Greensboro. He coached UMass Lowell. He coached Chaminade, which is where the Hawaii classic mm -hmm. is. I think Southwest Missouri state or one of those really big D two schools. So he had been all around the maps and he came back to Massachusetts to retire as an athletic director. He was at UNH as an associate head coach, but he had been everywhere. And he happened to look at my portfolio and see some of the X's and O's stuff and see the dribble drive stuff from Vance Wahlberg and see the pressure stuff. And it spurred a, a, um, a conversation between coaches. And it was so awesome because I, I did so many interviews and they're like, how are you going to deal with a difficult parent? And you answer it. And 
how are you going to deal with this? And I, I answered all those questions and, and I've done it and I continue to do it as an administrator. And um, I, I love working with families because I know that they always want what's best for their kid, right? But at the end of the day, like you can answer that, but what about beyond that? So he and I talked and talked about X's and O's and the pressure defense. And, you know, he gave me some feedback just off in that conversation. I'm like, wow, I'm in an interview and I'm learning from this great coach who's been around. He won a national championship at UMass Lowell in division two. Um, and I think Stan Van Gundy ended up coaching at UMass Lowell just right after him. So it was just kind of a cool like thing for me. And the parents, they were like, wow, we're just going back and forth. And then they started asking questions. And, you know, so I tell coaches that like that portfolio can show someone something that you might not say in that interview. So have a portfolio, your, philo your philosophy and your core values, and then some of the other visions you have. And, you know, they asked me, what if this offense doesn't work for your team? What if this defense, so, you know, what, what is it? What is it about your philosophy and your offense and your defense? So that's something I recommend. And then obviously have your philosophy and your core values, as I just mentioned, um, because that's really shows who you are. So that aside, um, I think that's important to tell coaches. And I share a lot. I share my portfolio in that aspiring head coaches um, coaches clinic that's on CoachTube. So you can look me up on CoachTube. Um, questions that I ask them is, you know, what makes this program special and what is it about this program that the players love, you know, and I, I like when there's a player there, cause I ask them, um, you know, what is it that you love about playing for this team? So those are things that tell me about the culture and what I'm kind of walking into. And, you know, I, I always ask the, the, the person, like, if I haven't done research, I don't know someone got fired, they didn't get fired, but you know, what, what was the situation like? What has the culture been like? What has the program been like the last three to four years? And what do you, where do you envision it? You know, and sometimes they'll tell you like, you're gonna have nine freshmen and, and that's good information and you wanna rebuild a program and you're a young coach and they might tell you, you got studs coming back and the last coach got a college job and you know, this is, you know, so I just, it's all information. I don't know if you always make a decision based on it, but I like to find out that information, the culture of the program, why players like being there, why, you know, the other coaches like being there and then having some perspective on the past. And, you know, I knew when I got my first head coaching job, it was a rebuilding program and, and um, they had not had a lot of success for a lot of years. And the AD, the same one I'm, I just talked about was very forthcoming about the culture that was not good. And, you know, for me, that was a challenge that I wanted to take on as, as a, a first-time head coach. And, um, but, I, you know, I, I think those questions are good ones. And, you know, think about that as you go into a program and write down those two or three questions. When I interview people now as an assistant principal, if I say to them, what questions do you have for us? And they're like, none. You know, it doesn't mean they're not going to get the job, but I always wonder about that because I, I, if I'm interviewing and selling myself, well, I want you to sell to me what you're, you know, what, what it's going to be and what I'm going to come across. So I think it's good to have some of those questions and I don't, you know, know that you can go wrong, but find out about the program, the culture and, uh, you know, kind of what you're going to be walking into. So I want to kind of transition into uh, multi-sport athletes. Obviously, you did football, uh, you know, basketball, uh, and a lot of times there's there's carryover. Um, you know, you would hope at most places the coaches communicate, get along, but but a lot of times, whether it's girls or, or guys, it doesn't always happen. So 
with multi-sport athletes, how do you, how do you work to find that balance for them? Right. Because obviously basketball is important, right. At the time, but they also have those other needs and those other, those other interests that they're, that they're trying to pursue. So I was someone who was a multi-sport athlete myself. And, you know, you look at the NFL draft every year and I always look at this number and it's like of the 20 some odd first round picks, like, you know, it was 28 teams. I, I forget. I don't know the exact number. 25 of them played more than one sport in high school and 18 of them played three sports in high school. And you look at those numbers and it's very telling because I think being a, a great athlete, you know, in basketball or football, you want great athletes, you want skilled players, but you want players who are athletes. So I loved having football players in basketball. I felt the conditioning piece took a couple of weeks because it's a little different in football to basketball, but I felt like their skill set was so good. Um, you know, their hands being good and their speed and their ability to cut and change directions. And sometimes we had some bigger muscular players that came over and played um, basketball and they were great around the basket and, you know, maybe a tight end, they had great hands, but they knew how to body players and get rebounds. So I always appreciated that for multi-sport athletes. And, you know, in the girls game, I had a lot of volleyball players. I mean, they could jump through the roof. So I was very, we weren't the tallest team. You know, we were like five, nine, five, ten, maybe six feet here and there, but in smaller, it was teams that had six, one, six, two, six, three girls. And actually it was one team that had a six, seven girl, but uh, you know, we had players that could jump through the roof and they were so athletic. So in my press, I loved having volleyball players. I love soccer players, the girls game or the boys game. Um, their footwork is great. Soccer players defend like nobody else. I'll tell you what, uh, I think in the girls game, two of my best defenders were dynamite soccer players and they just would not let anyone get by them. So um, I valued the multi-sport athletes. Um, in the boys game, it was nice because they all worked out together, basketball, football, and there was a lot of crossover. In the girls game, in the school I was at most recently, um, there wasn't a really, there wasn't a lot of female athletes that lifted and we kind of started that. So we kind of inherited some of those volleyball players with our summer workouts and, um, you know, not every player wanted to work out in the summer. And I understood that, you know, that was, I guess, their prerogative, what they wanted to do. But, um, you know, in the boys game, there was more crossover in the girls game, trying to bring in some of those players for those, those summer workouts. And, uh, you know, it was always nice having those athletes though from different sports because they all brought different things to the table. So, you know, we, we really wanted to hit this topic, especially with you about filtering content and Todd and I have asked this to, to multiple guests. There's so much stuff out there and especially with social media now. And like you said, with coaches tube or, or YouTube shows or, or podcasts like our show or, there's just so much content as a coach, you know, you may want to do one thing in your system. And then all of a sudden you see this thing and you want to change, but then you see something new and you're like, I like that too. How can coaches, maybe how did you and, or some advice for coaches, how do you filter through all this information? Otherwise your fast model is going to be, you know, a thousand fifty-two pages and you're not going to really know what you're good at and what you're not. Well, you know, I think the first thing is it's really about the, the relationships and the skills of the players. So if you really hone in on 
developing a skill set for players and the relationships you have with them, then it's a little bit easier to give up some of the X's and O's and some of the other stuff that you can get into the weeds. You know, for me, I was not as, I found what I wanted. I wanted to learn more pressure defense. I got Shaka Smart um, or Billy Donovan DVDs. I wanted more dribble drive. I hit up Vance Wahlberg. So I was very intentional about what I did. You know, you're talking a few years back now with Twitter, you know, and I'm one of those people I put play all the time in the NBA finals. I'm sharing out pinch Chicago, Chicago switch and this and that, and still sharing out sets and focus breakdowns on YouTube. And, you know, I think for coaches, you have to really think about what you do, like kind of like where you are and then like where you want to get to. And I think if the stuff that you're looking at is going to help you to get to where you want to get to, then you think about it. So for example, me right now, I'm a dribble drive coach. I love the Chicago series. And I, what I'm saying to myself right now, and I did a little bit of it, I dabbled with it. I would definitely, if I was a dribble drive coach, bring my four, my athletic, well, in the dribble drive, it was the four, but I guess your post player. From that low block, I'd run them up to the top. I'd hit them in either the pinch post or maybe extended pinch post, and I would be running some more Chicago actions. And that's of value to me. So I've been drawn to the Chicago series, which is why I've done a lot of stuff on it, because I think that's part of kind of like my hybrid dribble drive and how I would envision advancing it, because I see how the dribble handoff in the Chicago series and players getting downhill and the decisions they're making are very similar to what we're already doing in dribble drive. You know, if I was a, a flex or a motion team, you know, I, I might not be there. I might be looking at some of the other stuff that's out there. So, you know, I think you have to look at where you are and where you want to get to. And I think, you know, the X's and O's are, are, are going to get you so far, but it's the relationships and it's the skills you're building with players and, you know, less is more for me. I, I went into the first game with one sideline out of bounds play, and it was like a basic stack and break, uh, uh, press breaker that we knew against zone and man, and then maybe like two or three baseline out of bounds plays in our dribble drive, and maybe one quick hitter off of it. So like really, really basic and our pressure defense. And with a young team, I didn't even put the pressure defense in. Uh, I, I just went half court man. So you know, I think taking that less is more approach as you're filtering content out and thinking about what's really going to help your team to get better. Because if you don't run, you know, a certain type of offense and, and you're deciding or you're not a pressure team, you're a zone team, and all of a sudden you love all these pressure defenses you're seeing uh, VCU run or whoever else, uh, you know, Villanova runs this one, two, two. Yeah, maybe it could fit your team. And maybe it's that one wrinkle but if you're putting in three two three four five different wrinkles to start the season and you're changing your whole offense and defense every single year you're 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 building a team for that year and, and maybe you'll be successful but you're not really building a program program comes with a consistency year in and year out and i think add a wrinkle maybe add one press if that's something you want to do that year you're excited about but if you're adding three four five new things every year then I would reevaluate. Um, maybe you could be successful, but um, you know, it's like the football coach week four into the season, the 
wing T's not working and they decide to go to the spread offense. And, you know, that's a tough transition in the middle of the season. Um, but I see a lot of coaches drop it. And um, I don't think it's the wing T that's hurting them. I think it's some of the other fundamental concepts. So they'd be better off focusing on the fundamental aspects. So all right, going in our last two segments here, we call one of them the 32nd timeout. Uh, it's your dime, your dance floor. Uh, you talk about really pretty much anything you want. Um, charities, you want to promote something you're doing on CoachTube, what you, what you got coming up, any, any fun story, something unique. Um, you know, very loose 30 seconds. Uh, it's your time to kind of uh, talk on something you feel important. Well, I'll just, I'll share a quick story and then I'll, but I'll share my, uh, on the Get Better Basketball YouTube channel is a great resource for coaches. So I hope they check that out and a couple of videos up on CoachTube as well, Coach DeMarco and at Coach underscore DeMarco on Twitter. If you're not already following me, I hope you give me, a, you know, check me out and check out the Get Better Basketball chat on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. And just a quick story, kind of funny story for coaches out there, because it can be such an overwhelming profession. My first year as a head coach. I got the job, so excited about it, and I was a football offensive coordinator, and we ended up making the playoffs. So my first, my opening week of basketball season, I was in the football playoffs. So I was going from football practice to basketball practice, and it was a little bit chaotic at times, and um, I, I had to miss one practice, which I never missed practice after that, but because of the football game that I had. And then we ended up going to the Super Bowl, playing at Gillette Stadium, which was really cool. Um, but that was kind of my first year as a head coach. And it was a little bit of a whirlwind. Um, and, you know, in the moment, I was like, this is crazy. And I was running around like a maniac. But, you know, I look back at it years later and appreciate the coaches I had that I worked with and the players. And, you know, I guess it, 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 when I didn't have that, it, it, I appreciated the, the kind of it slowed down a little bit for me. But that was kind of a cool experience. That was my first year as a head coach. And, um, you know, it was a little bit chaotic at times, but um, I, I hope other coaches, when they get their first head coaching job or wherever they are heading into the season, it, it's a little bit slower, but uh, I laugh about it sometimes with my wife now. I remember that first year and my brother who coached me, and it was a lot of fun too. So we uh, finish always with a segment we call the quick hitters, which is for us just quick, fun questions we can end with. Sometimes they're basketball related. Sometimes they're not. Todd and I always like to joke. We once asked somebody what their favorite zoo animal was. So you never know what's going to come out in quick hitters. So uh, the first quick hitter we have for you is your favorite non-star basketball player of all time. So take out the Jordans, the birds, the, the magics. Who's your favorite non-star? Wow. That is a really good question. So favorite non-star. And I'm, I'm thinking about some, some of my uh, Boston players and, you know, and he's probably a star, but I loved Reggie Miller growing up. So I'll take him out of the mix, but you know, I, I think of the Celtics teams that um, had some success in the eighties, but then I think of some of the more recent Celtics teams and they had a, a pretty good run. I, I loved watching Antoine Walker. Um, he might not be, might not be That's a, a full star yeah. type of player, although he had a good run and a good career and made a whole lot of money that I think he also has spent as well. He has. Um, He's a Chicago House guy. Was, <laughs> but Eddie House was great in that uh, 08 team. And uh, he and PJ Brown, I really enjoyed watching them. And 
how they were kind of brought the team together and seeing House hit those shots. And I'm like looking at this guy, I'm like, man, he doesn't look all that good. And he's hitting these threes, like falling out of bounds and just some really critical shots. Leon Poe. Um, those are guys that, that like resonate with me from that 08 run. And <clears throat> like I said, I was always a Miller fan. I loved Walker, but they're probably a little more star sat- status. So Eddie House was a guy that if we're talking about maybe a non-traditional star, um, I loved him. I love watching him play and hitting some dagger threes in the NBA playoffs and finals. And uh, my brother and I had season tickets. So we were at all those games and man, it was fun. All right. Next one here. Uh, Patriots chances uh, uh, and what their outlook looks like for this season. I don't know if it'll resonate well with our Chicago guys, but you're a football guy. You got the pats there. Um, what, what do they got going out there? Put me on the spot here. Well, I, I like their chances better than last year because they picked up some tight ends for Cam Newton. I know he likes to throw to tight ends. We picked up a young quarterback. So if Cam doesn't cut it, it could be Tom Brady 2.0. Bledsoe gets hurt. Bring in Tom Brady against the Jets and the rest is history. Um, you know, but I, I really do respect Cam Newton's game and I like him. I think they're going to get to the playoffs this year. And I do think with Belichick and the playoffs and McDaniels and just kind of that offense and, and, but also the defense is really looks pretty good this year. But I think offensively um, they're going to be better because I think Newton is going to have an offense. I think they are building it a little bit more around him and, and what he needs with the, the tight ends that we've acquired um, in the off season. So I, I like their chances, you know, but um, if you asked me before Brady, I would have been like, Oh, you know, not too good, but you know, I don't know. We're very optimistic here in new England every year. So I feel pretty good about it. And I work in Foxborough, by the way, which is where Gillette Stadium is. <laughs> so I saw, I believe you were a history major for your undergrad, as was I. So I, I had to throw in your favorite historical place to go in Boston, in the Boston area. All right. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two. Number one is Fenway Park. I worked there uh, when I was in high school, college. The joke is I, don't, I never quite... Worked a lot of games. I worked just enough to go in and kind of have some fun, watch the games and sell a few hot dogs. But um, I worked a couple of years at Fenway. So I think that's a great historical place mm-hmm. for people. You think about all the history in, in that park and especially recently with the World Series, but a lot of World Series over the year. And then love the Freedom Trail in Boston. Mm-hmm. We went there as uh, kids, um, you know, Faneuil Hall type area, uh, Paul Revere's house, the Old North Church. Um, as a history person, that's something so cool and you can walk it and it's, there's a lot of great restaurants. There's a lot of great things to do. Um, but that Faneuil Hall area in Boston is, is, uh, of course, one of my favorites. So the freedom trail for pure history, that would be the answer. All right. Staying on the history theme, then your favorite period of history to study or teach. Well, it's hard not to say the, um, you know, the American revolution, because so much of that was in the Boston area, but the Civil War, World War II Civil War, it's probably a yeah. toss up, but I, I would say the Civil War I loved. I taught US one for a lot of years. I taught US two as well. And I really enjoyed teaching the, uh, the Civil War because I felt like you can get into, there's so many cool stories, whether it was Wilbur McLean, where the war started and ended, uh, Appomattox Courthouse or, you know, getting into some of the, the battles like Antietam and showing the kids the maps and, some of the strategy. So um, I, I really love that about the civil war, maybe too much at times, 
um, and then also World War II as well. I would agree with World War II. I would throw in, I love the Constitutional Convention. That was always, that's always my, one of my favorite times. Very period. cool. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So for you, obviously, as you said, you know, you're right by Gillette, you're a Patriots fan. What about college football? You got a favorite college football team? So my siblings will be upset with this. So, well, I went to Merrimack. So uh, okay. props to Merrimack. Uh, they just went up in the division one and, and they're doing a great job. So take my son to the game season ticket holder here, but um, grew up with BC. Uh, my other four siblings all went to Boston college but not me. I went to Merrimack, but I love Notre Dame. Oh. And I have a nephew oh. who goes, I have a nephew who goes to Notre Dame. I got out there a couple of years ago and it's, it's every, uh, it, it is beautiful. I mean, yeah. I don't know the campus. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if you guys yep. have ever been there, <laughs> but it is amazing. And I always love Notre Dame football. My dad liked Notre Dame. So that might have something to do with it, but uh, always loved it. And I have a nephew who goes there not doesn't play sports. Uh, he's an engineering major. He's going to be like a NASA scientist someday, but um, always, always love Notre Dame. So yeah, that's it. Uh, I'll answer if I've been to Notre Dame this way, coach, my mom's family, the maiden names are Burke and Ryan. So that should answer if I've been to Notre Dame or not. <laughs> Very All right. All right. Next one here. Something that people think or say about Boston. That's not accurate. I like this one. You know, I, I think Boston Boston fans and Boston people are passionate and they're loving, you know, it's a place where you come to and you get to know people and you feel like family and everyone wants to give you a hug and a kiss and that's Boston. But I think sometimes, you know, through sports and our passion is mistaken for, and, and I think we win a lot if I'm being honest. So some, <laughs> some towns hate us yeah. uh, for that, mm -hmm. you know, the Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, you know, we've had a lot of success, but I think people mistake that passion for like, you know, we're angry or aggressive or, you know, Boston. And then they come here, you know, I've had friends from out of state, friends from Florida and, and actually Chicago and other places. And they're like, wow, it's not quite what I thought. They go into town and everyone's happy and they want to help you and, and whatever it is you need. And I feel like it's a place that is very uh, diverse and welcoming and they embrace people when they come here. But Sometimes I think the perspective from, or at least from New York fans is uh, Boston, ah, we don't like Boston. And of course we have that same perspective for the New York fans too, so. Uh, we're, we're from Chicago, so we'll hold our New York uh, thoughts as well. So yeah. just to finish, you know, we added this one. We usually, we, Todd and I always seem to add a quick hitter, but I'm just curious when you were an offensive coordinator, what offense did you run? So a couple of different ones, but most recently we were spread no huddle, uh, Chip Kelly, you know, like mm -hmm. get that ball snapped and inside zone, outside zone, um, you know, quick screens. But I also ran um, kind of my first stint with my other team. We ran some hybrid wing T, some shotgun wing T, and um, a little bit of the eye mixed in there because we had a stud back that could just plow people over and get downhill. But spread, spread shotgun is my thing. And when I was in college, we were kind of four wide type of team as well. So that's my thing in uh, football. Well, Coach Marco, we can't thank you enough for being on. We had some awesome, awesome conversation. I, I encourage all of our listeners to check out Get Better Basketball on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, on CoachTube. Uh, participate in the chat coming up tomorrow, uh, 8 o'clock, I believe. Right, Coach? I, that's I usually, right. It I usually try to 
I usually try to jump in, but sometimes it's the kid's bedtime. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, but I encourage everybody to check it out. So much good information. Uh, we really appreciate you on coach and thank you so much. Thanks for having me guys. Really enjoyed talking, you know, basketball and really going beyond X's and O's. I, I think there's a lot of value in that and appreciate that you guys are going beyond the X's and O's. That's, that's really cool. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout, or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.